I would really like Hebron Church to be like the church of Thyatira. So let's hear the word of the Lord together. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God who has eyes like the flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished browns. I know your works, your love, your faith, service, patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and the heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, we do give you great thanks and praise and ask that you be with us at this time so that what we hear would be beneficial, what would we hear would move us, what we hear would change us. By the power and illumination of the Spirit, we pray, amen. Please be seated, and if you would, grab your Bibles, go to Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. We're looking at the fourth of the seven churches today, so we're flipping over, going over halfway. I started the scripture by noting that I would really like to be in a church of Thyatira. Now, I mentioned that to, so that you would pay extra attention when I was reading the scripture. I hope that you did that and tried to figure out why it is that I would like to be in a church of Thyatira. I have to say, confess across the board, that when we started this series, when I spent time looking at the seven churches, when I looked carefully at this, Thyatira did not stand out at me as a primary church or a primary model for us at Hebron. I tended to think in terms of Ephesus or Smyrna, maybe Philadelphia that we're going to be looking at in a little bit. Thyatira didn't strike me as a real prominent uh, church or a prominent illustration for us. As I've mentioned before, I think what's going on here is that Jesus is writing these letters not just to these particular congregations, but to the church universal as representative of these congregations. Therefore, it's incumbent upon us who hear each and every time to sit there and say, okay, in what ways is Hebron Church like the church at Thyatira? And then, of course, because each of us are members of Christ's church, then the question is, how is the model that is being put forward here in, this, in these universal churches, how do they apply not just to Hebron Church, but how do they apply to my life as a member of the church. So that's kind of the way in which we're working our way through 
these passages, and as you know that they have a certain structure, there's a format that each one of the letters follows. Jesus is, is following us along a certain pattern. They begin with who he's addressing it, the letter to, then it talks a little bit about himself. Jesus describes himself and what he's like, and then we move on to uh, encouragement and criticism, warnings, counsel, encouragement, and then a promise that he ends the letters with as he encourages each of these churches to follow the Lord more and more faithfully. Thyatira begins in verse 18, to the angel in the church of Thyatira. Now Thyatira was a very small town. It was most likely the smallest of all of the cities in which uh, Jesus addresses one of these letters, and yet it's the longest letter. This is the longest letter that Jesus writes to the church in Thyatira. Jesus introduces himself as the Son of God whose eyes are like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Uh, when he calls himself the Son of God here, this is very clearly the most authoritative, the most divine, the most um, uh, powerful imagery, the most powerful title that Jesus gives to himself here. Uh, trying to emphasize that authority aspect, which gets picked up towards the end of the letter, his eyes are flames of fire. Uh, we talked about this a number of weeks ago. I think here you easily have the picture of his in insightfulness, his discernment, God's wisdom and knowledge. Uh, I, yeah, the flame of fire has, and it comes up in this letter a little bit, kind of the sparkle of judge, judgment as well. Not just that he sees all, but he, that he sees and he knows all that is happening. And his feet are like burnished bronze. Here you have a picture of his fortitude, the strength and the power in which he goes on to. The letter then moves on in verse 19 to begin the discussion of encouragement. Now, this follows, again, every one of the letters so far. Jesus starts out by saying, hey, here are some things that I want to encourage in your church. Here are some things that you're doing that I think are very positive that I want to stress. I was meeting with somebody on Friday, and he said to me uh, that he felt that encouragement was the most underrated gift that one Christian can give to another. That encouragement is the most underrated gift that one Christian can give to another. And I totally agreed with that and was very taken by that line, that comment that he made. I think that it is true that any idiot can come off the street and tell you 10 things that you're doing wrong. But it takes somebody with discernment, somebody with some wisdom and courage to encourage you in a meaningful way. So what we're going to do today is that we're going to focus overwhelmingly here upon the encouragement that Jesus gives to the church of Thyatira. And that's just in verse, in the, in the one verse there, in verse 19, that's basically where, where we're going to spend our time. It's not that the rest of the letter is unimportant. It's not like that we don't, as a church, don't have to learn about the rest of the letter. Jesus criticizes the church of Thyatira for a being tolerant of alternative ideas and of flirting with heresies, flirting with, with wrong theology, and all of those warnings are due for us as well. But it's the encouragement that he gives in that verse 19 that I think is so powerful and what I so desperately desire for Hebron Church, what I so desperately desire for myself as a Christian and you as well. 
Verse 19, Jesus starts out and says, I know your works. Now, we've talked about this before. This is not just an assumption that he has the intellectual knowledge. God knows all things. Jesus knows all things. He sees what's going on. That's not what's being spoken of here. This is a reference, again, to this idea that Jesus walks among the lampstands. He knows. Jesus is well aware of what's going on. So what does he say? I know your works. And then he identifies five different things. Your love, your faith, your servants your patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed your first. Those five different things. These are the encouragements, the the way in which Jesus encourages the church at Thyatira. And what I hope and pray is the way that Jesus could encourage, be encouraging Hebron, and you as an individual, me as an individual Christian, and how perhaps we should be encouraging one another. I know your works, Jesus says. And then he lists out these things, love, faith, Hope, uh, patient endurance, uh, your latter works exceed your first. And right in the middle is that idea, I know your service. I know your works, I know your service. Now this word here that he says is one that, you would asa- that we should associate with ministry. The words in which we use are ministry most frequently. I know the ministries that your church is doing. I know what is going on here. I know the, the effort in which you are taking place, the the the, tr- the difficulties, the challenges that you face, and the ministry that you do. But I want you to notice something that's missing in here. When Jesus, clearly in an affirmation passage, clearly in a text where he's saying something positive, he does not say, I see your good ministry, or I see your successful service that you are doing. There is no assumption of success or faith or, or, or abilities here. What Jesus is identifying is he says, I see that you are serving me. Now we way too often get caught up in the question of successfulness or not, or effectiveness or not, or the ability or the appropriateness of what we're doing. Can we accomplish the task? Are we moving the ball forward? But that's not the issue that strikes our Lord. What strikes our Lord are the following characteristics that he gives about it. Faith, hope, love, that your service is exceeding, your current service is exceeding that which you have done in the past. Not a question of success, but a question of faithfulness. This is what was so powerful about what Jesus marveled over when he saw the widow put in two little coins into the church treasury. Not because those coins were going to make a huge difference in the budget. In, in effect, they were nothing. They contributed very little to what could go on. But Jesus marveled at that because it was such a powerful act of faith. Not because it was successful, but because it was faithful And we need to retrain the way we think about things. We need to retrain the way we think about things here at this church. All too often, we're asking the questions of, does it work? Is it successful? Will it accomplish the goals? Now, all those questions need to be asked. All those questions are important. They are metrics in which we need to sort in our mind. I acknowledge that. 
But what Jesus is calling attention here to is not how effective something is, but how faithful it is. When you are encouraging one another, you want to see if you can encourage one another. When you are encouraging this church, you want to see if you can encourage this church in terms of its faithful service, not necessarily its effective service. You need to encourage one another and say, hey, I saw you being faithful there, if it was effective or not. Now he goes on to describe that service. He says, I know your works, your service, and then he kind of layers on these other ideas. Uh, Faith, love, patient endurance. We're going to take them out of order a little bit. Uh, I know your faith. I know your faith. But notice here that faith is attached to works. These are actions that Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, look, I look into your heart and I see that you actually believe that Jesus is God, blah, blah, blah. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, I know your actions. I know what you are accomplishing. I know your work. And I see your faith. All right, so these are faith. These are actions that are being taken that Jesus says are actions of faith. What are actions of faith? Faith is trusting in the promises of God. Trusting in him. It's not a simply matter of fact of having the intellectual cognitive ability that says, oh, God exists. That's not what we're doing. That's not faith. Faith is not an awareness or recognition or an embrace of the existence of God. What the faith is being called forward here is a reliance, a dependence, a a leaning into Jesus Christ and the promises that he makes for us. So when he says, I know your works your faith. He's saying this, I know what you are doing is based on the promises of God. Now what do I mean by that? What's the contrast to that? The contrast would be working based upon anything else than the promises of God, based on your abilities, based on the budget, based on the need based on the effort and the, uh, the, the volunteer base, based on whatever. What Jesus says here is, I see your work and the actions in which you are taking arise out of a dependence upon the word of God. I will tell you that your elders are currently struggling with a number of different decisions. We are working through a lot of things that are happening here at the church, as many of you can easily imagine. And it's a constant challenge to make sure that we are asking the question, what is faithful? What depends upon the promises of God? Not on our assessment of if it's possible or not. Think about that. We're we're faced consistently with opportunities to do ministry here at this church. And I think what Jesus is encouraging in Thyatira is that they're asking the question, not do we have the funding for this, not can we accomplish it, not do we have the manpower for it, but simply does it correspond to the word of God? Are we trusting in Jesus? 
in making this decision? Are we leaning into the Lord? Are we forced to trust in Christ? Or are we trusting only in our own abilities? The session is forced to ask that question. We're being forced to ask that question. And, and I will tell you that the session in many ways does a great job with that, the leaders of this church. And in many ways, I think the leaders of this church do not do a great job about that. And of course, the question is, for you personally, how often do you act out of faith? How often do you act, put into practice an action that is predicated simply on God's promises and not on if you think you can do it or not? We at Hebron need to be like Thyatira and need to be asking the questions, what does God call us to do What does it mean for us to act in faith, trusting in him, not in our own abilities? We have to ask that as individuals. We have to ask that as a church. Dear Lord in heaven, I do ask that for this body. I ask that in my own life. I ask that for each and every one of us, that our actions would arise first and foremost because we trust in you because we are leaning into your promises. He then says, I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance. Anybody who's ever been involved in ministry knows that endurance is something that you absolutely have to have. You have to have that because ministry is hard, because we have such a powerful opponent that is hindering everything we do. Sin hinders everything we do. And in any ministry setting, you know that you are constantly bumping up against opposition that sin brings forward. And in addition to that, people are hard to work with. Ministry is people, and you guys are tough. And so you've got to have endurance to get through this. Now, it's clear here, this is the the building off of Jesus' idea of having that stable feet, the fortitude. Um, It's clear here that the endurance that is being called for is not some stoic I'm going to plow through and just suffer along and, 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 and no, endurance here is patient endurance now patient endurance is contrasted in my mind at least with those who are complaining when I complain I fear that I'm not being patiently enduring. I'm usually enduring. I'm going to gut it out. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to, that kind of thing. But if I'm complaining either outwardly or in my heart, I doubt that I am being patient in my endurance. Now, where does endurance come from? Endurance comes from hope. Uh, James makes that explicitly clear. Paul makes that explicitly clear in Romans that our endurance arises from our hope and so what is being called for here are actions again I know your works your patient endurance actions that arise from hope that come from Christian hope not wishful thinking but Christian hope is that confident assertion that God is doing something in the future the confident expectation that we have that God according to his character will fulfill his promises for us in the future That's what hope is. And so here, what Jesus is saying to Thyatira is, look, I can see the fact that your actions 
correspond and arise out of hope, the expectation that God is going to do something in the future. Uh, Many of you over the past six months or so have prayed vividly, and I hope even longer than six months, for our youth ministry here at Hebron. Our youth ministry um, has gone through, has taken its hits. And some of you know, and if you're aware of what's happening in the past couple of months, that there has been a, a, a faithfulness within the youth ministry, a hope-based service for people who are confident this is the staff, this is the volunteers, and this is the kids that are involved They're demonstrating a hope that God is going to, according to his character, sometime in the future, use this ministry for the building of his kingdom. It could be months, it could be years, it could be decades, but there's a hope, a hope within the youth ministry right now. Not not a, not a, a wishful thinking hope, but a confident expectation that what's happening right now is going to flower into something in God's hands in his future for his kingdom. Now, the kids, the staff, the volunteers, they don't do that perfectly. There's all too often too much discouragement and despair. But they're doing that. And that's what we need to be like as a congregation. That's what you need to be like as an individual. Somebody that says, where is the kingdom of God? Where is God working in the future that I can have confidence and assurance in? And move in that direction. Dear Lord in heaven, I purely confess that very often in the ministries here at Hebron Church, I lack a hope the confident assurance that you are going to be true to your character and fulfill something here in the future if I experience it or not. Lord, I know that I share that confession with so many people in this room. And yet, Lord, we also look for your goodness and your grace as we seek to be more and more faithful to the hope that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. I know your works, Christ says, your love, your love, Love, faith, hope, love. Now, when he says that I know your love, once again, I know your work, I know your love here. This is not Jesus saying, I know that you have that warm sentimentality in your hearts. This is, I can see your love in the work, in the actions in which you are doing. And the word love here, as many of you will know, this is one of those Greek words for love. This is agape. This is a divine love. God is saying, I see your divine love in the actions in which you are taking. Now, divine love, by the way, is not just lots more love than human love is. It's not of greater quality. It's not of greater quantity. What divine love is, above all else, is self-sacrificial love. When Jesus says, I know your agape, I know your works, I know your love, he is saying, I see what you are doing, and I see that it costs you to do this, and that you are acting out of love. This is the kind of church that Hebron needs to be. 
this is in some ways the kind of church that Hebron is. I don't know if many of you are familiar with the work that happens here in this building, the HCC, that is getting going, but the staff that work with the HCC and the people that volunteer there and the other folks that come around the HCC, the ministry that are here, they do so out of love. And I can tell that because when I see, I see them sacrificing themselves. They are giving of themselves so completely and totally for the furthering of God's kingdom in a way in which they may never be appreciated, where it may never reflect back on them, but they do so out of love. We could identify lots of ministries here at the church, lots of people in this church that are acting exactly in that way. And I fear that we could identify lots of places and ministries and people in this church where love, self-sacrificing, giving of yourself is not the motive, does not factor into what they're doing. Now, I look out at most of you and I see most of you are heavily involved one way or another in the church. And I don't know how you serve at your home, in your families, in your workplace. But I know that you need to be serving with a self-sacrificing love that has all too often escapes us. Lord Jesus, we ask for that kind of an expression of love in and through our lives and in and through our hearts. Lord, encourage us with these same words that you know of our love, our faith, our patient endurance. We ask in Christ, we pray. Amen. The text goes on then to say, and I know that your latter works exceed the first. I know that your latter works exceed your first. This is simple. This is that identification, that understanding that for the Christian, maturity is something that happens. It is something that God does in our lives. We grow immaturity. A believer is not somebody who regrets. Remember the church of Ephesus, by the way, which I thought that we were more like. This was a couple weeks ago if you were here. One of the problems with the church of Ephesus is that they had lost their first love. This is the opposite of that. These are people that haven't lost their first love. As a matter of fact, they're, they're developing. They're growing in maturity. They're becoming more and more faithful in the ways in which they are reaching out into the world. They are growing into a deeper understanding of the Lord and a greater love for Jesus. That's discipleship. That's what this church needs to be all about. That's what you as an individual follower of the Lord need to be all about because in this way, we glorify our Lord. In this way, we show him our love and our passion for him. Thyatira was a church that was growing, not numerically necessarily, but spiritually. They were developing. They were growing. And that's the church that Hebron is in so many ways. And that Hebron needs to be in every way. That's the way in which you need to function as an individual believer, as someone who is maturing in every way and is taking every step to do so. And if so, 
We hear the promise that Jesus gives at the very end, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. He, I will give to him the morning star. What is the morning star? Jesus himself identifies himself as the morning star. In the end of Revelation, he says, I am the morning star. And so what is our promise? What is the gift? What is that which moves us to a greater faithfulness and service? It is none other than Jesus himself, our Lord and our Savior. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we do ask for your great blessing upon us, the great need that is before us to be a church like Thyatira, to be a church that offers you the praise and the glory in which you deserve, to be a church of love, of faith, of hope, of service, and of ongoing maturity. Lord, make it so for us. Begin even today, we pray. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we ask. Amen.